Welcome everybody, it's your host, Taylor Smith, and you're listening to Read the Room, Sis, where I lead us in conversations centered around navigating young adult life as a Christian in this pop culture revolving society. Join me for new episodes every Friday at noon. And it's that time, so sit back, grab a snack, pop those dogs up, and let's read the room, sis. And welcome back, guys. We have all made it to another Friday, which is a blessing in itself. Um, I hope all of you guys this week was absolutely amazing. I know mine was. So let's get straight into office hours. If you're new here, my name is Taylor, and office hours is when I tell you, you know, what's been going on in my life lately. Um, the biggest thing going on right now is that my little brother actually just turned three, which is crazy to me because I felt like he was just a baby fresh out the womb. And now he is three and talking and doing everything under the sun. It just really amazes me because I, you know, being a, a new adult, like you always know, like, yeah, at one point I was a child, like I remember being younger, but you never really get the opportunity to watch somebody else grow up. So I feel like he's the first person I get to see grow up from a baby, like fresh out of the womb, <laughs> into like an adult one day. So I think that's absolutely crazy, but it's been so fun watching him grow up. So yeah. Um, The next thing is that God has really been leading me to learn about the fruits of the spirit. So um, I just finished my Bible studies on Galatians. And a part of that is learning about the fruits of the spirit which if you don't know, are self-control, love, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, joy, goodness, peace, and forbearance. All of these traits are fruits of the Holy Spirit. Basically means when God's Spirit dwells inside of you, He gives you these gifts and you can use these gifts to show people the glory of God, to live your life in love and wholeness and So God has really been leading me down a season of just making sure that I implement every single last one of these in my life and that, you know, I'm doing things that do prove to be fruitful and not, you know, leading me down a path of destruction. And so that's pretty much where I'm at in my own life right now, y'all. So let's get straight into tea time. And if this is your first time listening, tea time is where we talk about what's going on in pop culture. So I want to start this off with Biden. Um, I hate to put him on the spot. No shade with it. No shade with it. But he just came out and said that he's given $700 to each household in Maui, you know, because they're going through like really, really bad uh, forest fires right now. I'm not going to lie, y'all. That's kind of crazy. Like, it's crazy. He giving them $700 a household and he sent like millions of dollars to Ukraine. Like. I don't know, like, my mind is really blown right now. I don't know how to feel, and I am a political science major, so all I do in school is learn about policy and different things like that. And it's kind of wild to me that he's only giving them $700 a household. Like, no offense, Joe, but what are they supposed to do with that? Like, let's let's really be for real. Let's be for real. If AirPod Maxes cost $600, what are they going to do with $700? And it's like, I have no problem with him aiding other you know, countries and stepping in, but you got to be there for your home when, when we hit, you know, hard on hard times, when we fall on hard times. So the fact that he only given Hawaii 700 and that's actually a part of the U.S. is crazy to me, but whatever. That that was the first thing I needed to address that as a political science major, there's no way that I could have just let that slide. So I had to say something. Um, Next, I would just like to say that we are celebrating 50 years of hip hop 
And I want to go through all the eras of hip-hop with y'all so y'all can pick y'all favorite one. So first, we have to start off in 1973, which is where it mainly all started, um, which would be 1973 to 1983, which is Sugar, Sugar Hill Gang, like Crash Crew, Run DMC, LL Cool J, The Treacherous Three. And then it moved into like a whole different generation, which is 1983 to 1993, which is Kid and Play, Salt and Pepper, N.W.A., Queen Latifah, Will Smith, uh, what's his name? Big Bismarcky, yes. And then the next generation, which is probably I would say our parents' generation, are they Generation X? I think the one before that is Baby Boomers. I think the, this one is Generation X. I could be wrong though. But 1993 to 2003, which is Nas. Tupac, you know, Lauren Hill, Snoop, D-O-double-G, Wu-Tang, Nelly, Little Kim, Jay-Z, Biggie, Ja Rule, Ludacris, Missy Elliott, DMX. I would definitely hands down say that's probably like my mom and my dad's favorite era. I don't know though, because my dad kind of was really into like Will Smith and Kid and Play and stuff like that. So that might be his era. Um, But next, we're getting into more of our era, like when we were younger, um, Gen Z slash Millennials. It was 2003 to 2013, which was 50 Cent, Outkast, Gucci Man, Crime Mob, T-Pain, Kanye, Soulja Boy, Lil Wayne, Drake, Nicki. It was given um, Young Money Cash Money, <laughs> a T.I., Bow Wow, and so many more. I think that that generation was probably what I remember the most. Like, I literally remember being three, y'all, three in the backseat of my mom's car like I used to have my arm up and I used to be pointing my finger saying go DJ that's my DJ go DJ I used to love Lil Wayne I used to be obsessed with Young Money Cash Money and all that when it first came out I remember just watching a bunch of videos on YouTube about them when I was younger and then we move on to our generation which is where we're currently at which is the 2013 to 2023 and of course, we got Uzi and Future and Little Baby and NBA Young Boy and City Girls and Meg and Polo G and I Spice and Lotto and everybody else under the sun. Um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people would probably say that it went downhill. I don't. I don't know if I would say it went downhill. Um, it definitely changed a lot. But I don't think we're too far off because everybody always wants to talk about the vulgarness of like. Lotto and Meg and City Girls, but I'm like, have y'all never heard Little Kim? Because there's no way, there's no way you can be talking about the vulgarness of that. Like, it's the same thing. So, I don't know. I feel like people are being a little bit biased, but yeah, I would definitely say that my favorite era was um, definitely 20, 2013. 2013 was my favorite era of hip hop. But yeah, so go celebrate hip hop, y'all. Listen to some rap music do what you gotta do keep it cute though not too much like the music keep it cute <laughs> um but yeah so the next thing that i wanted to talk to you guys about is bet so if you guys didn't know bet is owned by paramount and they were actually trying to get rid of it so they were auctioning bnt off um and so i think they were looking for around three billion dollars but they kept getting what they called lowball offers, like I think in the millions maybe, when they won it in the billions. And um, they said that some of their lowball um, offers actually 
included Tyler Perry. And I'm not going to lie, y'all, but I'm feeling some type of way. I'm feeling some type of way because, first of all, this is black, you know, entertainment television. Like, this is the BET. Like, this is what all of us grew up on. And this might be a hot take, but I feel like Tyler Perry has been making money off of the trauma of black people for so long. So the least he could do is buy a platform, you know, that was made to uplift and represent black people. Like, come on. Like, it doesn't matter how much it was. I feel like Tyler Perry should have bought it, period. Because he's the one who's been making movie and movie and show and show, you know, about black trauma. This is stuff that we go through every single day. Like, we can't, not only can we not escape it in our real lives, but then we have to get on television and watch it. And that's fine. You know what? Some people really got, you know, entertainment, laughs and stuff out of the Medea movies and all that type of stuff. But to not, well, to lowball BET and to not buy a platform that, you know, mainstreamed a lot of your content is kind of crazy to me. I'm not going to lie. It's crazy to me, especially when a lot of the comp content is kind of biased because I know a lot of women, especially black women, don't like Tyler Perry playing Medea just because we feel like it kind of supports the narrative that black women are aggressive and loud and like, yeah, just to have Medea be played by a man and be ag aggressive as she is, like, we just feel like it kind of furthered a narrative that we were trying to deconstruct. So I don't know. I'm I'm feeling some type of way about Tyler Perry right now and the fact that they done ended the auction for BET because not y'all, not everybody acting like they don't want to buy BET, which is kind of crazy to me. But yeah, I just found that a little funny and I wanted to share that with y'all. Um, And the last thing I have for tea time is that I know the Rod Wave fans are so excited because he just announced that he is coming out with his new album, Nostalgia, and he put a date on it, which was September 15th. I believe that's like two Fridays from now. It's like two Fridays from now. Um, Yeah, so all the Rod Wave fans are definitely about to be so happy and listening to their music. I'm not going to lie. My favorite Rod Wave album is Ghetto Gospel. I wasn't feeling the last one too much, but to each is their own. And that is all we have for tea time today. <laughs> All right, and the last segment before we hop into this week's video is give them their flowers. And so I'm going to give Sierra her flowers because she's pregnant and she's absolutely killing it. She looks absolutely beautiful on all of her Instagram pictures and all of her pregnancy shoots that she's done. She looks so amazing. And she recently just came out with a new song featuring Little Baby called Forever. So if you guys haven't listened to that, you should definitely go check that out. And I think it's just so nice to see Sierra so happy, especially with Russell. Because if you're a Sierra fan like me, you was rocking with her back in 2015 when all that stuff happened with her and Future. And she was just really going through it. And I know y'all remember those two consecutive songs that came out. It was I'm Out featuring Nicki Minaj and Sierra ate him up on the air. It was so good. It was so good. And then she came out with I Bet which was like the follow-up song to that one. And that one was just as good too. But I know she went through a lot with that whole situation. I feel like that was a really rocky time for Sierra and all of her um, fans and friends and family. You know, just having to watch her go through that was kind of hard. But she has definitely bounced back. She has found somebody who loves her, who treats her, you know, beyond amazing, which is what she deserves. And so for that reason, she deserves her flowers. All right, y'all. So let's hop right into this week's episode, which is... Black television, so everything black about TV. So I'm going to do five different categories because I feel like that's the best way to keep this organized. But 
I'm not going to go too into detail about certain things just because I may want to do episodes in the future about, you know, certain topics in relation to black entertainment or black television. So yeah. But let's go ahead and start with number one, which is the era of classic black sitcoms, which was like the 90s, I would say early 90s, early to mid 90s, I would say was when the best sitcoms came out. And these are like A Different World, Sister, Sister, The Parkers, Martin and Gina, The Cosby's, Moesha, Fresh Prince, House of Pain. Like, honestly, the list just goes on. The girls were eating back then. Like, I feel like this is the perfect era of black television. Not only just because, like, were their families together and these were sitcoms, but because it didn't showcase black trauma in a way that was re-traumatizing audiences every time we watch. Um, a lot of these sitcoms were very informative, gave really good insight on communication and things that everybody, like all different people face every single day. And I think that's why they did so good, especially one of them that sticks out to me is probably Martin and Gina, because I think that's the one that we remember the most as like young kids watching like adult TV. Um, it's like Martin and Gina went through real world problems like trying to save money, that type of thing, without it being very traumatic, as well as showing that, showcasing really their love for each other, you know, as a black couple. And I think it was one of the first representations that a lot of us had for black love. And so for that, I think it does stick out a little bit. Um, I'm not going to lie, I really liked Moesha growing up. Like the whole poetry thing, like she had more to her than just a vibe, like she looked good. She was trendy. She had nice hair. I remember that being super popular. A lot of people used to ask for their hair like that when we were younger because Moesha. But um, I was still very young watching Moesha. Like, that was probably for the generation before me, but I was definitely watching it. Um, But yeah, I think that was a, a good show too. And it kind of intersects it with the Parkers, if you know Moesha's best friend. Um, was her name Kim? I think her name was Kim who was, like, basically one of the main characters on the Parkers. And that showcased, you know, a black relationship between a, a mother and a daughter and what that should be like, you know, without a father in a picture, um, which was absolutely amazing. Like, these are things that kind of hint at, you know, real lives of black individuals in the world without being so traumatic. Like, I remember that show being funny. It was, it showed really good undertones of, you know, the stress that, um, mother-daughter relationships can put on individuals and you know it showed how they overcame that and I think that this era was just really good for us as well as House of Pain. House of Pain had so many good episodes. I will never forget the episode where Malik ends up like talking to this girl online and um he like invites her over to the house and stuff like he brought his parents is out and then it ends up being um, this white man that shows up. And he's like, yeah, hey, I'm the girl. And, like, Malik starts freaking out because he was doing this whole online dating thing. And basically, like, um, his uncle and his dad come back and they basically rescue him because his friend was there. But his friend ran out and, like, went to go get help and stuff. It was crazy, but it was so real because at that time, I think there were so many people using Kick and Ubu and just so many different other things talking to people online that they had never ever met before and so it was like it was crazy it was it was crazy to see that you know play out and it was really educational for a lot of us just to take in you know some of those safety factors especially with social media being on the rise you know 
in the early 2000s. So that was definitely a good episode. I know another like really good episode or monologue is from Fresh Prince um, of Bel-Air. Everybody know LeBron posts this monologue all the time. Um, but it's this one monologue where basically Will Smith is talking about all this stuff that he made it through without his father. He was like, I made it through my first birthday without my father. I learned how to fight without my father. I got my first job without my father. And then at the end, he basically says, like, to hell with him. Um, and it was so popular because it was so many people's, black people's story for many different reasons. Yes, there are other um, underlying racial tones that supports why this is, which maybe I'll get a chance to talk about in a different episode because I don't think a lot of people understand or know, you know, about the historical factors that a missing father in black households hold. But um, it was a really good episode because I feel like Will Smith let out a lot of anger and um, really disappointment for a lot of us when it comes to um, fathers showing up in our household. But I think the Black Succumb era was good because it showed family. I think that's the number one thing that came out of the Black sitcom area. Um, and there are, are so many different sitcoms. I I did not do it justice. I only named a few because if I named all of them, I probably would have been naming forever. But I just think this era was so good, especially for women because, you know, we have shows like Girlfriend and I mean, there are some, I guess you could say, modern day black sitcoms, but they don't hit the same because you have like blackish. But if I'm being real, this is my like, I guess my um, unpopular opinion, maybe, or my hot take. I feel like blackish is made for white audiences. Like, I feel like they try to make being black a personality trait and like quirky and stuff and like get good punchlines in there. But I don't know one person that actually watches Blackish, like a black person that watches Blackish. Something about it just, I don't want to say it doesn't sit right with me. It just doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like good times or family matters or everybody hates Chris or living single or the game. Like, it just doesn't feel like that. It just, it feels different. It feels like it was made to cater to somebody else, a different kind of audience. Um, but on the other side, I will say grownish is a great show, especially for black students in college. I feel like that is good representation for what college is like today. And it's good representation in terms of black individuals and you know what they go through in college. But that's all I really have to say about the black sitcom era. Honestly, this era is unmatched. Like you, if you haven't watched some of these like historic black sitcoms, you should definitely go catch up on them because they're all on Netflix. Majority of them are on Netflix, like sister, sister, most of the, the, um, the later ones in the 2000s, but I think they're, they might be removing them soon because I've seen an ad for it, so go check it out before they remove them. Okay, so next, <sighs> there's no way I could have this episode without addressing this, so let's go ahead and jump into reality TV. So, there's a lot of reality TV centered around black individuals. There's Love and Hip Hop, of course, Real Housewives of Atlanta, I think there's like the Basketball Wives. Then we have, like, Zeus, which, oh, God, was, I just, the downfall of black women, to be honest, which is, like, baddies. Um, they have bad boys now. They have, like, Jocelyn's Cabernet. They have, like, Krishan and Blueface. And all of this is just reality TV, y'all. Um, I mean this in the nicest way possible. 
there's nothing real about this reality TV. Like, nothing at all. Like, it's very toxic. It displays black people horribly. Um, We can just go ahead and start by talking about baddies. Let's talk about Zeus as a whole, as a network. Zeus is, like, so counteractive to the reason that BET was created as a whole. BET was created to empower, uplift, give black people a platform, and to showcase our stories. Zeus is literally the opposite. Zeus is a platform where black people are, you know, tore down. Um, They come across stereotypical. There's a difference between being cultured, black, and and proud, and then just just playing out ratchet. Just playing out ratchet. Um, It's ratchet. Like, I don't even know what to say, y'all. If you've watched Baddies West, East, whatever, whichever one you've watched, it showcases black women horribly. They glorify fighting. Um, They don't talk about communication and how to do things, you know, without becoming physical. They show black, they showcase black women as loud, Um, out of shape, overweight, disrespectful, no manners, you know, the lack or ability to speak publicly. It's just so many different things. And then they also showcase this idea that, like, everybody's chasing money and fame. I, it just given Babylon. Like, it gives Babylon. I'm not going to lie. It's just, there's nothing fulfilling or enriching about this platform or the shows. But I'm not going to sit here and lie and say I've never watched it. Because obviously I've watched it to be able to tell y'all about it. Um, it is entertaining. Like, if that's their goal, entertaining, they got it. Like, A+. plus. But as far as Black voices and Black stories and representation, no. This is just, a like, no. Absolutely not. And then we move on to Love & Hip Hop, which is, of course, more, like, music industry focused. And I guess more, it was supposed to be uplifting. I guess that was the goal. But they missed the goal. They, they missed the goal by a long shot. Just because... And the same thing, you know, with all of the Zeus shows, it's the fighting. It's the fighting. The throwing drinks, the pulling wigs off, the lashes. It just doesn't put on a good face for us as black people. And then in relation to that on Zeus, there's a show where Krishan and Blueface talk about their love story. But personally, I just feel like that is horrible for younger audiences. Like, this is not love. Like, there's nothing about this that is love. Like, and then for it to be showcased, you know, low-key Esther, Martin, and Gina is crazy to me. Like, it's crazy. Because when we grew up, we had Martin and Gina and other black sitcom families to look up to in relations to love and relationships and, you know, just black love in, in general. And if all we have to look up to now, especially our younger generations, is Krishan and Blueface, then, we, yeah, we're, we're on a downward trend, okay? We're on a, down, we're on a slippery slope. So I feel like we need some more representation in reality TV when it comes to that era. And then I guess you can move on to, like, Real Housewives of Atlanta. It's the same thing, though. It reminds me of, like, when we were younger. If you have a black mom, then I know you heard this word before. It's ghetto fabulous. It gives ghetto fabulous. Like, it gives... There's a level of of dignity and glamorous that it's trying to add to black women. But then it's, like, counteractive by, like, this fighting and lack of communication and these arguments and then baby daddies and just everything toxic absolutely everything toxic I don't think I've I definitely was not into 
um, Love and Hip Hop or Real Housewives of Atlanta or Basketball Wives. Um, I remember my sister used to watch Love and Hip Hop a lot, which is crazy because if you met her, her personality is the exact opposite from all those things. So I don't know why she found them entertaining. But reality TV for the black community is just a no. I mean, it's just absolutely no. And then most of this stuff is fake, you know, especially the actors on Zeus always come out and say like, yeah, the producers asked us if we could talk about this, which led to an argument. Or the producers told us to go sit down here and say this and that. And it's just like, it's one thing if everybody was just acting like that on their own free will and showcasing their own personalities and their experiences. But to have producers kind of race bait them a little bit into playing up to these stereotypes and these narratives is counterproductive to everything BET stands for and, you know, Black people's, like, mission for empowerment as a whole. So, rah-rah, reality TV, I guess. So the next era that I need to talk about is Black animation. So there were a lot of Black um, animations on, I would say, Cartoon Network now, and a little bit on Disney Channel, not too much though, but mostly in recent years have Disney Channel picked it up on the Black animations. But let's start off by talking about the Boondocks. The Boondocks is probably the woke-ish, quotation, air quotations, <laughs> that you're going to get um, in black television, just because you have Huey, and he speaks very, you know, poetically, and it's in a digestible form for other black people, because I think a lot of times there is, like, a communication gap in terms of, you know, the media and how black people can receive certain things, but I think the Boondocks does a really great job at breaking things down, like, especially the R. Kelly episodes, like, it talks about the morals and the values of black people and how, you know, you can't let simple morals and stuff like that slip slip under the rug just because of who people are because they have fame. Like, there are so many underlining things and lessons in the boondocks that if you haven't watched it, you definitely should. I think that show is super good and it has layers on top of layers on top of layers. Like, you really have to pay attention and dive deep into the message of each show. Even, hear me out, even the shows about I think his his character name was Gangsterlicious, and he was basically a rapper who ended up being gay. Like, there were so many good undertones to the Boondocks. Like, you just have to give it a try if you haven't watched it. Next is The Proud Family. I feel like this is, like, one step under The Boondocks just because it um, its main character is a girl and not a guy. So it follows Penny Proud, of course. And it's kind of the same as the black sitcoms. It shows family... It shows what her life is like as a teenager. It shows her, you know, facing regular problems that, you know, black young girls face. But it's also just representation. I think a big part of the Proud Family is representation because there aren't episodes that are strictly about being black. But it's just being able to see yourself in a character that's being showcased on television that is so important to black youth. And I think the Proud Family hits the nail on the head for that. There are older shows like The Fat Albert Show... Um, the Cleveland Show, which was the spinoff to Family Guy, I watched every single episode of The Cleveland Show over, I've probably watched all the seasons like five times. It's just so good. It's definitely a comfort show. I used to watch it my freshman year all the time. Um, it's funny. Plus, like, I used to watch American Dad and Family Guy, but again, sometimes it's just about representation. Sometimes you just want to see people that look like you, and I think The Cleveland Show is just like a good comedy and like a good laugh you know, for black people. And then I can't talk with about black animation without talking about the first black Disney princess. So let's get into it. Tiana. 
I had, as soon as the movie came out, my mom brought me a Tiana doll um, in a case. And it stayed in that case for so long. And it just sat up, like, on my bookshelf. And my mom just said, like, one day this should be worth a lot. This is the first Disney princess, the first black Disney princess. And I had one and my sister had one. Now, I'm going to be real honest with y'all. At that time, my fruits of the spirit was not fruit, and patience was not a word in my vocabulary, so I definitely opened up my toy. I cracked that baby right open <laughs> and started playing with my princess, but my sister always kept hers in the package. I don't know where hers is at today, but hers stayed in the package. She did not play. Um, but yeah, the Princess of the Frog movie is amazing. Amazing. Following Tiana as a young girl who had a dream to open up her own restaurant in New Orleans, and her father played a pivotal role in her childhood, her dreams, her accomplishments, and everything. He was a big motivator for her. It was why she was doing what she was doing on top of her mother. And the story basically, you know, follows her as she's trying to work and save money. Like, she's saving up all this money to open up her new restaurant. Like, she's ambitious. She's smart. She's intelligent. She has the skills. She has the drive. Everything about this Disney princess is absolutely amazing and different from the others. And this one, she's not looking forward to Prince Levine coming. She's not trying to get his attention. She's not trying to be saved. It's not like this hero complex for, like, the prince to come in and swoop in and save the girl. But she was honestly kind of annoyed by him the whole time. And Prince Levine, I don't think he was actually supposed to be black. I think he was supposed to be, like, Cameroonian. He's not black, if you look it up. But anyway, the whole point is, the only thing wrong with this movie, y'all, is that it was the first black princess. And 75% of the movie, she was a frog. <laughs> like, I mean, that's just what you get. Like, they said you can't have your cake and eat it too. But it was a great movie for what it stood for. But the fact that the black princess was a frog for 75% of the movie is just like, why? Like, the one time we get representation, and she's only actually black at the beginning of the movie and at the end of the movie. But for the bulk of the movie, she is a freaking frog. Which was kind of disappointing, but I don't know. Disney has gotten called out in recent years a lot for having BIPOC people being played as animal representation. Because I believe there's another show that came out. No, it's a movie. And it was supposed to be about girls on their periods. And it's like a girl who turns into a fox. But I believe she's Asian American. And people are like, why does she have to be a fox? No, she was a panda. They were like, why does she have to be a panda for the whole, like, movie? And so, Disney Channel has been getting called out recently for making their BIPOC films, like, animal-related or relating us to animals. But it's just, like, it's just, it's weird because it even, okay, I have another example for you guys. Another black animation, Soul. We finally got our first, like, real black movie where everything is authentic black. It's about jazz. It's giving music, which is what black people you know, have a big hold, a big, they're a big stakeholder in the music industry. Um, and then the whole, most of the movie, he's, he's just a white soul animation. He's just, he's not even, he doesn't even get to be black for most of the movie. And I mean, yes, it did showcase a lot of black culture and other black things, but it's just like, why every time that we get a black movie, does the character have to be in a different form or shape for majority of the movie? It's just, Seems to be a concept that Disney keeps playing up, which is very weird. Um, but yeah, on the other note, though, we have the Black Spider-Man, Miles Morales. 
which I think is good. I my brother used to watch Spider Man a lot. He's kind of died down on it, but he used to watch Spider Man animations on Disney Channel. And my mom started to show him the actual Spider Man movies like not too long ago, or probably like last summer. She would show him mm, Peter Parker as Tom Holland as Andrew Garfield, and so on. And I wanted to let her know, like, there's a black Spider-Man, because my mom had no clue. She does not live in the world of Marvel, DC, any superhero, any superheroes. So I was trying to let her know, like, there's a black Spider-Man that you can show him, too. Like, and I don't, it's not because everything has to be about race, but it's just because representation. And I wanted my brother to know that Spider-Man could look like him, too. So... I made sure to tell her that, and so when we went to, like, Target and bought toys, we started to buy, you know, the black Spider-Mans and different things like that, as well as the white Spider-Mans, not excluding those, because, you know, you want kids to be privy to that there are all races and that people come in all different shapes and sizes, but I think representation is very, very important, especially at a young age, so it was very important and pivotal for me to make that, you know, a big thing in his childhood, and so I did, I did that by, you know, including Miles Morales and other um, black individuals, so, yeah. Um, next, we can talk about Medea, the era of Tyler Perry, I guess. Y'all already know kind of how I feel about Tyler Perry because of the other segments. But I don't, don't want to say I don't like Tyler Perry because I think to say you don't like somebody as a person is a very strong statement, especially someone you never, ever met before. I do not like his films, and I do not like the the racial undertones and the underlining, you know, ideas and concepts that we get out of them. I feel like Tyler Perry showcases black trauma in a very, very traumatic way. I don't think anything about it is safe or I think it's triggering. I think point blank period is triggering and it's just not good. And I mean, I guess he tries to do it in an empowering way. Like I'm trying to think about like Diary of a Mad Black Woman and those kind of movies. Another movie that kind of fits in that is, like, Four Colored Girls. I don't know if that's by Tyler Perry. I think it is. Let me look it up, y'all. Is Four Colored Girls by Tyler Perry? But anyway, that's, like, the, the vibe that Tyler Perry movies give. So, you know, you have... The list goes on, honestly, for Medea movies. Like, you have Diary of a Mad Black Woman. You have the one... <laughs> like Big Happy Family, you have The Boo, the Halloween one that came out not too long ago. Um, the list really goes on, because there's not only movies, but there's plays, and then you have the shows that he did. But honestly, I just feel like they're never, like, what's the purpose of this? If we have to live and experience this every single day, why do we also have to watch this as a form of entertainment? Like, I just don't understand what his overall goal is. Like, these are the lived experiences of black people. Like, we know what it's like to have an absent father. We know what it's like to have parents or uncles or grandparents that are on drugs, you know. Like, why do we need to showcase this again over and over and over? And it's the same stories, the same dramatics. Even, like, the whole, the STD thing and the HIV thing and the going to jail constantly and it's just like, why? Why can't it be uplifting? Why can't it be more like the sitcom era? And I mean, I guess you have to have both sides so people see. But I think what goes, I feel like what goes without saying doesn't need to be said. And I feel like 
Tyler Perry says what we already know. And I'm thinking about, like, I can do bad all by myself. Like, the whole rape thing, the molestation of, like, young girls by, like, their older family members or their mother's significant others. I just don't understand overall what we get out of this. Now, while Tyler Perry has put together some amazing movies and there are some amazing actors in these movies, I just really question his goal here. Like, what is his cinematic objective, I guess? I mean, I guess Meet the Browns was a good movie. And then there's, like, one about a funeral. I can't remember what that one's called. Is it, like, Medea Family Funeral or something like that? I don't know, y'all. This might be a hot take because I know a lot of people love Tyler Perry and love Medea movies. And they think they're funny. But I just don't understand what's entertaining about a black man dressing up as a black woman and then proceeding to be loud and obnoxious and aggressive and angry and... Like, it doesn't show black women as people. It doesn't show us with emotion. It doesn't show our intelligence. It doesn't show any of that. And so I just question, like, what, what's the goal behind the deal? What was his overall objective and what was he trying to accomplish? Because I think he missed his mark. Um, but if that was his number, if it was never his goal to showcase black women, you know, as something em- empowering, then he definitely hit the nail on the head. But yeah, that's really all I have to say about Tyler Perry. I just it gives me stinky vibes. Like, I don't know. I just feel like in comparison to shows where, you know, white families are, you know, the main focus, white women aren't portrayed like that. And they shouldn't be. And so I don't understand why black women are portrayed like that. It's just it doesn't sit right with me. So I just I had to move on. So the last thing I want to talk about is this era of slave movies. Because I know y'all remember this for sure. It was like 2013 to like 2014, maybe 16, if you want to push it, where there was just like slave movies coming out back to 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 back. I'm like, what is the obsession with slave movies? Because there was 12 years of slaves, and then there was Django Unchained, and then there was that movie Belle, and don't forget the Amistad and Roots, because those were like the oldest ones, and then you had um, Emancipation with Will Smith, and then there was the the Birth of a Nation that they redid to counteract the white one, and then there was Lincoln, and then there was Free State of Jones. Like, honestly, the list just goes on. And I'm like, what is, what is the, like, what do y'all have with re- reliving the slavery aspect of, of, you know, the black experience? Um, those movies were traumatizing too. Like, I'm sorry. It just reminds me of Netflix, the When They See Us show that had everybody traumatized. I watched that thing one time and never went back to it ever again. Barely made it through it. And there's something about watching black television that traumatizes black people that is just not okay. Even the, the Jeffrey Dahmer thing that they came out with last year on Netflix was very traumatizing just because most of the victims were black. And just to have to watch that, the first episode especially of that was very disturbing. Very disturbing. I remember after watching that, I could not even sleep that next night. Like, it just was living in my head rent-free, living in my mind rent-free. Like, I could not get it out of my head. It was very disturbing, very traumatic. And that's the same thing that 12 Years of Slave gives. Like, I used to try to make it through Roots all the time when I was younger. But I just couldn't. Just... After seeing family after family get ripped away and ripped apart, it was just so sad. And it's just, if you want to have a good cry, then I guess you can watch it. But I just don't see the entertainment out of it. While I do think we should, you know, be educated on slavery for, you know, the historical aspect of things and our nation's history, um, our culture's history, it's hard to watch this stuff 
especially when it's coming out in bulk like this, and especially when every film has its own agenda of its own, because, like, a lot of people didn't like Free State of Jones or Lincoln because they felt like it painted these white individuals as white saviors to the black community. They liked more movies about perseverance and about black people overcoming their oppression, you know, 12 years of slave, that type of thing. Or Birth of a Nation, people who decided to to fight back, people who decided, you know, that they weren't just going to sit around and be oppressed, I guess. But I don't know. I think oppression is what these type of movies scream. And so I think in relation to the Medea movies, I have to ask myself, what kind of entertainment do you get out of these films other than education and, you know, learning about the historical events and things that took place? But as far as, like, real joy and enjoyment comes out of shows I don't think you're going to get those out of the slave movies you're you're not you're not going to get those out of the slave movies there is um a sense of joy and a sense of pride of getting to the end of a slave movie and seeing the slaves being free or like Harriet Tubman seeing people persevere and you know be strengthened by their faith by God there's a lot of stuff you can learn about Christianity in terms of slavery if you watch those movies that's like probably as far as I'll go as education wise and then just learning the historical facts. But I mean, there are way more like better, I would say, documentaries and things that can get this same objective by without traumatizing black audiences, honestly. So for that reason, I'm going to have to say stay away from the, the slave movies. But with all that being said, those are the five little genres or eras of black television that I wanted to go through. I just wanted to skim the surface of them. I didn't want to get, you know, too deep into them just because I might do solo episodes just to go a little bit into the problems or the good things about some of these areas. But with that being said, I hope you guys have a great week. I love you guys and I will see you guys on our next episode. Well, that's the wrap for this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. Join me again next Friday so we can read the room again, sis. Be blessed, loveys. Have a good week.